Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Today, I have Suleka Rajkumar with us on Audio Gyan. Suleka is an independent graphic designer, type designer, and a lettering artist. She has over 12 years of experience in designing for brands from aviation, personal care, F&B, healthcare, banking and financial services to hospitality industry. She has a very insightful and worth listening talk recorded in 2015 at Typo Day which is on YouTube. Uh she also conducts workshops on lettering and is a visiting faculty at Srishti School of Arts. Today we are here to talk about type design, lettering and most importantly multilingual branding challenges. So thank you Suleka for giving your time and it's a real pleasure to have you on audio again. Oh thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So yeah as I mentioned uh, I have these few uh, things and uh, if you can start the you can set the context by telling us uh, at least for a layman for me yeah. uh, lettering has always been people who do uh, typesetting at signages or some sort of that's that's how I perceive lettering. Right. So if you can just set the context by telling us uh, what's the difference between <coughs> uh what's the difference between uh, lettering and calligraphy what is lettering maybe and right. then we can open up more questions sure i think the best way to understand lettering is like one is to understand it in and of itself but also like you know you asked a good question like what is calligraphy and lettering because it helps to understand it in the context of other art forms that deal with letters as a subject so calligraphy being one of them we have lettering we have type design and then we have typography So it'll be nice to go through all four because yeah. then I think it helps uh you know get a good understanding of it. So we start off with calligraphy and calli- it's it's the simplest definition is just the art of writing. And you see it historically in um traditional forms like manuscripts. You see it uh, in in China it was used both as a means of communication as well as um aesthetic expression. Mm. Uh in the Islamic world it was uh, considered one of the highest and noblest noblest forms of art especially in the context of uh, uh, using it for religious texts so you will find calligraphy on uh, architecture in books the quran is just it's like you'll see so many stunning styles mm. uh, in india we've seen it uh, a lot in manuscript tradition uh, like there's a the jain kalpasutra manuscripts have Uh, a very distinct style of their own mm. and what happens with calligraphy is that one is you're working with a tool and in those times you know there were limited tools limited uh, or not limited i would say they would use specific tools and say specific kinds of material that you write on and that action or say the limitations of the tool the limitations or possibilities of the tool as well as the paper the material created very distinct styles mm. so the styles came got derived not just by the artists um expression and certainly that was there but also what the tools would allow them to do mm. so for also ex- there is a element of what kind of quality of paper the Absolutely. quality of paint which were, like the ink, ink which was used yes yeah. yes ink as well yeah, yeah. so and it, it calligraphy while it was you know it served a very distinct purpose uh, earlier it has remained today as mm. an artistic style and 
it, it's it's one of those skill sets that you have to keep at it if you if you stop for a while uh you have to get back to practicing every day to maintain that style and it's, for you know calligraphers do it every single day almost like how one continues to practice music like playing an instrument you you obviously will, you won't, you won't forget the fundamentals and you won't understand the the uh you know the the ground of like what music is based on but you know your motor skills you still have to constantly keep practicing and that's calligraphy is something very much like that mm-hmm. uh we move to uh, lettering, lettering. Yeah. and lettering is now like if calligraphy was the art of writing you could say uh, sorry if calligraphy was the art of writing lettering is the art of drawing a letter now what does that mean like so is it a subset of it it's not a subset i would like to look at it more like a spectrum say calligraphy on one side lettering on one side okay. and say lettering would fall under maybe it's best to understand with examples you see um, you know lettering on trucks on vehicles the mm. horn okay please you see on signages shop signs i mean we we both in bombay so you still see tons of hand lettered uh, shop yeah. fronts uh, film posters old film posters would have uh, lettering book covers mm. so the na- the book titles the film titles would be all lettered mm. now the difference is that one is right it's it's the technique of the skill that is involved in creating it uh, it's a matter of what you choose to do whether you want to use a calligraphic style or you want to uh do use a lettering style to create something but essentially the skill is different mm. uh and lettering what happen what happens is because it allows it's not re- it's restricted on writing it allows you to add a lot of decoration and elements and it can go pretty crazy that way as well mm-hmm. actually so can calligraphy i'm yeah. not that's yeah. both <laughs> so actually so if i can uh, sorry to interrupt no but uh, if i can ask uh because i recently did one interview with uh, which was like the last interview uh, yeah. with uh, about rk joshi okay. and when he said that uh, obviously he didn't say it, like it was communicated through uh, santosh sagar uh, but the takeaway was and this is the question that if calligraphy uh, you write say q q u e u e whatever that spelling is so the two e's and the two u's might should not differ when you're doing calligraphy but in lettering it can differ yes. is that a f- I, I he's absolutely right when you're looking at formal calligraphy mm. so if you're looking at uh, formal calligraphy yes then the 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 attempt or it is really considered a high, the highest skill to be able to reproduce the same letter in the same way mm. but in more contemporary styles that's not the case so you can if you're writing q u e u e you can deliberately want the two e's not to look similar and that's probably come from the fact that today because of computers if you're using a font e and be. e will look the same so you probably want that humanistic touch to it so you you might like calligraphers may mm. or lettering artists and like i like doing that as well where the letters aren't aren't the same when you repeat mm-hmm. it so it's just it has a uh, as a more natural element to it so it's it's today it's a preference but uh, mm. he's absolutely right when it comes to tr- formal calligraphy mm-hmm. and then again uh, are you supposed to as a as a good practice are you supposed to draw say a to n or say a to z uh, in a particular style so that someone can start using that style in that calligraphy whereas it's not mandatory in lettering is that any uh, does that make even sense yeah a uh, little bit yes because so in formal calligraphy there are styles huh. so for example i mentioned the uh, kalpa sutra manuscripts the jain Kal- they have a very specific style of letters uh 
you've you've seen the black letter style of the European black letter style mm-hmm. of uh, lettering. Um, it looks very uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe. I but like it's it's hard to talk about stuff without visuals. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so if you're if you're following a style, like for example, you have the Spenserian style of calligraphy, you are and a, a formal tradition. Yes, you would master that specific style. Mm. Uh, mm. But calligraphers, modern calligraphers, also have their own style. Now you see, uh, for example, in China, there are different uh, uh, kinds of calligraphy. So there's one thing that's called script. Uh, uh there's a s- style of calligraphy that's used with a seal mm-hmm. and there are a couple of others which i can't recollect right now but uh the results are quite different so you see even the same calligraphers using the same style of calligraphy but uh their expression is quite different so that had uh, had had a slightly uh different take on what formal calligraphy is but you can get a sense of what uh there are some so you could say in terms of like proportions of letters for example mm. there will be a com- there will be a one style will have that set mm-hmm. in place mm-hmm. so it could be proportions of letters it could be the kind of contrast that's used to write it um perhaps the tool also defines the style mm. so it's just again like so within calligraphy there's formal and then there's informal so informal it's like it's yeah, it's open to whatever school, yeah. anyone wants it's to do it's very close to lettering then Yeah Maybe. so like brush lettering again you know this the word is everyone uses the word brush lettering but in china they use brushes to do calligraphy and there they they call it calligraphy but brush lettering now uses so it's like i said it's a, it's a mm-hmm. spectrum mm-hmm. and in lettering is there any lineage like calligraphy you can trace back to say ancient greek or whatever like you have some references but lettering does that have like certainly a... actually quite a rich tradition in fact uh, it's something that uh, you want to talk more about uh-huh. because uh, a lot of uh, uh, calligraphy is very well documented not all but yes a lot of it is and uh, lettering no, has lettering. i know i know yeah, yeah, but yeah. lettering doesn't have hasn't seemed to uh, it it has drawn the attention of designers uh, you know when they want to sh- do something kitsch mm. or pop art like uh, so you'll find a lot let them looking at hand painted signs for uh, uh to get to you know to be inspired for styles mm. but uh lettering artists also were which was a art form that was handed down from you know in those times father to son mm-hmm. father to son and and like so so people were trained uh in that particular style so hand painted signboard artists mm. were specifically lettering artists and it's just that the uh you know they didn't sign their names at the end of their brilliant pieces of work so we, we there there a lot of people who have gone back mm-hmm. um hanif did this project okay. uh, hand painted type and what what i particularly liked about that is that he went to the hand painted uh, uh, artists and he uh, you know he interviewed them he found out about their lineage and about you know how they how they got into it is most likely from their father and their grandfather mm. so there is it's just that we don't know about it but it's very it's a Correct. very rich tradition even um, for example building signage signage mm. right uh, so lettering doesn't necessarily have to be something that you draw with a brush or uh, draw with a pen or paint with a brush mm. but even uh, you cut it out of metal correct or carved on a stone carved on a like, stone yeah. um yeah tons of yeah 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 and and uh, so this bean bag whatever i forgot the name of the art like you draw murals with just lettering right bean bag and then they write the phone number 
Yeah, like you, yes. You see, it's it's a form of uh, lettering. Yes, that would be and that would be like a graffiti style, you could say. But graffiti. the beanbag one has become so distinct. I think it's there should be a beanbag style. On yeah. This one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Cool. So I would like to just slightly change tacks and uh, sure. want to ask you. You your work focuses on like multilingual brand design. So how has lettering helped you improve that skill? I mean. uh has it first of all and if you have any any instances of uh you learned or you observed some sort of a um uh, some sort of a lettering and then you decided to draw inspiration from that and help in multilingual branding yeah obviously we'll speak about multilingual branding sure, further but, but just yeah. in general lettering yeah. and branding um you know so i think branding is one of those uh, uh it's it's an area also where every single element uh you you're thinking about it very deliberately and it's not just the logo so but even that logo there's so much thought that's just put into and in most cases it's either just the logo type which is just the letters and that itself will have its own meaning and expression and style or it could be the logo type say along with a symbol hmm either way the element of the written word is there mm. you know there are yes you know the uh, logos that get so uh, well recognized mm. at, after a certain point today you see just the apple you don't even have to write apple yeah. but nike uh, yeah exactly nike just the swoosh and that's it yeah. so um but the 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 word is probably the name of the company which is really what it is 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 such a crucial element and it's like it's it's like giving a face to that brand right and that's that's the brand's face and you're going to see that constantly mm. so there has to be a synergy in the way it looks and what the brand wants to communicate mm. and what happens with um, uh letters is that because there are historical associations with styles as well as well as pop culture associations with styles contemporary associations with styles when we look at a certain style even if the layperson can't necessarily articulate it they are constantly feeding into all those nuances that the the style of those letters are telling them mm. so an understanding of um one is what those styles mean how what what so for example what is the emotive quality of having a rounded terminal uh typeface which ends in rounded terminals mm. or super sharp mm. uh terminals or flat angular terminals uh so what happens is when you know that that in some cases people either uh, conform to the uh, uh, the general associations with style some people push the boundaries and that's again is up to every designer but certainly an understanding of it is quite crucial and as a, i think as a when you do have the both the understanding as well as the ability to reproduce and create draw mm-hmm. uh, your own type for a logo it becomes more distinct then mm-hmm. uh, and it definitely is an advantage because while you do have a wonderful selection of fonts really there are so many and uh, mm. you could you could also spend that is like you know we didn't get to that but even typography just the art of using fonts is mm. is a whole other skill set in yeah. itself uh and an art actually not just a skill but it uh, also you you can make a more unique mark if you can draw the letter on your on uh, on your own because then no one else can set that letter unless yeah. they copy that style but it's one is yes trademark issues but i think most importantly it is about uh, what that style means mm. what are the proportions of the letters are they tall letters are they short are they very formal looking letters or are they funny are they quirky are they 
and that again what do you what do you want the brand to say so it's mm. it's very true it has helped me a lot yeah yeah also um, the context in which the person is going to consume it is yes. it going to be like a always like a big hoarding out or is it going to be like a type like a newspaper print article whatever yeah. so it's it's just too much too much nuanced yes <laughs> yeah um and then what what is the most challenging part of multilingual branding i mean uh, i've borrowed this question from the talk itself yeah, yeah, sure. and uh, so is it is it the education of the client is it uh, lack of good regional fonts uh, is it the awareness among designers itself that we have to be very uh, conscious of this responsibility of creating um, like a regional font for say vodafone or regional font in your case yeah. you did for paradise uh, biryani right? yes. so if you can uh, tell me what what's the biggest challenge right now so, i mean all the three are there are, they're, but they're, like among them what's the biggest so one? all of them are there i think uh, i think today this was also a talk that was uh, you know a few years ago uh, and uh, the there are tons of regional fonts and there are very good fonts out there and the only thing is it takes a while to create them so every time people ask me shouldn't we be having them? i'm like yes but there are few of us doing it you know we're trying to get it out but so but there are tons of them i don't think there's really a problem with because even if there are a, a, there there are a lot of fonts some people say the fewer fonts today in and i think what they mean by that is uh digital fonts in the way that we can access it but there are, there, there are whole banks of fonts that have been there for many 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 years we talk spoke about arkay joshi who is a brilliant type designer yeah. so there are there certainly is but i think it's the it's a combination of the the graphic designers as well as uh, clients face feeling the need to give that much give the multilingual branding as much importance mm. as the primary logo we just spoke about uh, you know like the look the identity being like the face of a brand and it needing to capture every single nuance of what or not every single but at least the main points of what the brand is trying to communicate so then why do we stop at that like why why do we settle for any of uh, uh, the closest matching font to to typeset the the regional uh, uh, the the brand in the regional name it seems it seems bizarre to me mm-hmm. how i mean which graphic designer could uh, sell and 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 have been in 20000 of them where you you know you sell the presentation to the client and you're talking about each single tweak that you've made to the letter but then you'll just settle for uh, the uh, some default font for the regional logo mm-hmm. that's also the face yeah. so it's i think graphic designers uh, i you also see a lot of graphic designers at uh, do drawing it themselves and that's wonderful mm-hmm. so i think that it, it's it is definitely changing certainly i think from in the last few years it's it's people are becoming more aware of it mm-hmm. the reality is one is yes it is a government uh it's it's legally a company has to have their name in their regional language in in india at least and the the law varies from state to state mm-hmm. as to what proportions it should be but apart from that we are a multilingual country Correct. we all speak i mean you and i in the morning we've already moved from one language to the other quite a few times and yeah. we don't think just in one language yeah. so why does our visual landscape need to represent something that is not us mm-hmm. and it's a simple thing of if you are if you are talking if you're trying to convince someone or if you want to persuade someone or you want to basically connect with someone you would most likely speak in their language mm-hmm. right so and what are brands trying to do that's all they're trying to do they're trying to form a connect with their audience yeah. why would they not speak in their language mm-hmm. so i think the moment clients realize this and 
and i think they've been very receptive the clients i've met they've i haven't really actually faced that much uh, pushback uh, when it comes to it's just that if if someone needs to start and saying okay we're going to do this but uh, even d- graphic designers are very open to the idea everyone's open if there's no no one's disagreeing with this it just doesn't it should happen yeah i think uh, more, like, i suppose I think being a designer, I I personally feel it's our responsibility to to be more proactive and yeah. do that extra hard work of like maybe not worry about the the invoice at that moment and just try that out yeah. and uh, keep pushing out something and eventually people will. So so I've also started one more thing like even if I borrow image from anywhere, you just put a credit. I mean it's the reader like I I just now yeah, you, just yesterday a, did one poster for my friend and it's it's a uh, it's a whatever it's like a financial literacy for some people in uh, in ambarnath which right. is way too far and probably in some in some temple he's going to do so i've given him him a one a4 size poster hmm. but there also i put in like where the image is taken from yeah and the reason is uh some designer somewhere will read it and understand that this is a good ethical practice to follow absolutely and then it just uh, maybe like maybe in a 100 years this will become a norm no no yeah. it's happening now <laughs> i'm 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 very optimistic but yeah. also you know it should, it needs to be treated a bit like a specialization mm. so for example when graphic designers when they're working in a firm the moment it comes to say you need photography you'll get a photographer on board if a lot of mm. graphic designers can illustrate but they also collaborate with professional illustrators like a samil kurdavur you know they so that you can get that like a different a specific kind of style or a or a quality rather mm. in terms of illustration so why not uh, designers tie up with uh, lettering artists and type mm. designers to say you do the multilingual yeah. branding for me and it, i think that's where the awareness needs to start and mm. say that okay we can attempt it as well but uh, would we have attempted uh, or, our own by ourselves to shoot uh, mm. an ad campaign for a very big client no mm. you'd hire a professional photographer who's an expert at it and i think that's where the difference lies and i think that is changing though mm. it is so i feel to summarize this part i think awareness and education is partially there i think that proactive effort of uh, individual mm. communities and collaborators uh I, they are sensitive it just putting in that yes. extra yes and extra. i think like you know like the, the podcast like today will certainly help it more so <laughs> yeah thanks um so this is one which i also tried to ask uh, uh, shri kumar sir from idc um what impact either like conscious or subconscious uh, uh, does a well designed say like a english brand uh but translated into like a devanagari script or say hindi or marathi um create for a lay person right so vodafone or burger king written in the name in the same font um what 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 changes in the psychology of a lay person who's just who's just walking down that road i think it uh, definitely has a sense of inclusivity mm-hmm. you know because you when you walk down and you say say there are two kinds of lay persons one would be the people who can read english and some people who can't even for the people who so the for the people who can't read english they might start recognizing the image but again it's still it's still a bit alienating right it seems like a a different culture even for the people who can't read can read english it may not be their first language they must be thinking in their own language and the moment you see that it's just we were talking about it's just a way to connect with people mm. and uh, but also i think functionally 
if if you have a sign an actual physical store you would like that store to become a sort of landmark you want people to say we are near uh, like you said the burger king so you want everyone who can you want everyone to be able to read that also so that it can become a landmark you know like there's the there's a shop store called w and it just has the w on it mm-hmm. and even a lot of uh, i mean uh, english readers sometimes it, when it first came out not today obviously but when it first came up you're like what is this store called mm-hmm. and a lot of people were reading the devnagri uh, uh, uh you know text. the devnagri text which is written which is w and then they said oh that's what that's how we should call it because what do we call it and this was years ago and obviously you know the hotels are there so definitely but uh it was a fashion brand and i yeah, think this yeah. i'm it's talking a clothing about a decade brand, ago yeah. or something clothing yeah. brand yeah, for yeah. actually women i think yeah yeah cool and then uh yeah i mean this is a great point it becomes more inclusive uh, for the definitely like, yeah, yeah, yeah and especially like restaurants mm. it de- it becomes you that's a place that you're going you're spending an, uh, an evening with with either friends family it's it's an mm. experience center actually it's a win win situation for the brand I, yeah definitely. i i think uh, yeah and and uh, if you can highlight i mean in being creating a sense of inclusiveness or inclusion uh, is i don't know you can't tangibly measure it but yeah. since you have been doing it uh, do you have any insights especially with the paradise or any of your case studies if you can just take that one example and uh, has it is there any tangible metric to to do this because like these corporates and brands work on numbers and excel sheets right so yeah. uh, is there any any uh, angle to it i i'm i'm i don't know i don't know if uh, i'm i'm sure like one could possibly pull out statistics on familiarity of brands that have uh, distinct i i don't think it's been done but it could be done i that could be one way to measure it that have a distinct multilingual identity or a multilingual identity that is uh, representative of uh the brand itself mm. or people who are not giving it as much importance and what is the familiarity or recognition of that brand mm. but uh, i suppose it is it is quite an intangible thing to measure just as no, it so would be for example like you, oh, sorry uh, when, yeah. when you did that paradise ka um, uh, multilingual type right. uh did the number of people the type of people coming in the restaurant changed um it didn't like change, different uh, strata of people started coming in just because of uh being it in kannada or okay so what happened with paradise is because it was we were starting the store was uh it is a chain of restaurants in hyderabad but it was they were launching one in bangalore and at, right at the up, in the beginning itself we had the kannada uh, uh-huh. logo up uh-huh. so i don't know if i could measure a difference but in in paradise it was very crucial because it it is a biryani place and it is for everybody uh-huh. it is everyone uh, whoever is a biryani lover has got to be there mm. at, you know at the time and that's what uh it did have that kind of footfall uh or which it it did cater to like a wider audience mm-hmm. and but there are two things like even for example i've even done the uh, multilingual identity when i was at rn keshavan um with a colleague of mine uh, and uh, uh, we were for marks and spencers and it's i think it's it's like you said it's a win-win situation In some cases I think it's extremely crucial for example like a paradise in some cases it's it helps build that inclusivity in some cases it helps build recognition 
in the visual landscape as a landmark there's no downside to it mm-hmm. yeah correct correct and how does this entire scheme of thing work so you also did uh, like a packaging design for vistara i believe right with uh, i did the branding for vistara okay okay yeah. so any any case study which you worked on uh, where uh, it was not purely like a type setting or a type change uh, for into a multilingual branding exercise but the rest of the collaterals also so are there any different insights there because here you are now playing with lettering but now yeah. uh, for making like say from letter heads to brochures to cards and to everything right so you need to you need to find a closest font or you do you create a new font altogether how does that work right so vistara um, is a project that i worked on with rian keshavan and uh, the symbol is uh, drawn by a super talented colleague and friend pooja jagdish uh, what i worked on was the brand the creating the brand system and this i think you will address your question and one of the most crucial things was even selecting a brand font mm. you know what is that distinct font i think uh, uh uh what happens is you do you want something sometimes that complements the type in the logo itself you also want now font selection is very crucial because the style is important also the functionality of that font is very important does it support multiple weights because if you if you for example if you have a font that has fewer weights and what do i mean weights like light regular bold if you have a range of them you can probably design fresher looking uh you have a larger toolkit let's put mm. it that way so mm. then your designs are going to have uh, a lot more differences each time you look at it whereas if you have fewer styles in that in the family that you're in the typeface that you're selecting it can be a it can be a bit limiting for a designer so if you're looking at a large brand you do want to go with a very good quality design font uh that reproduces very well uh digitally in printed material in very small sizes and looks gorgeous in large sizes so mm-hmm. for vistara uh, we looked at scene standard and uh, it's a it's it's really a very nice font and the re- like to give you an example why we selected that is because the range of the the character of that font it had a very distinct character across the weights mm-hmm. so the light one had uh, this very elegant sophistication to it and the 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 heavier one had uh, a very uh I don't I'm struggling to find a word but um it was I, I I'll think about it if it comes but I I I know what I'm thinking of visually mm-hmm. uh and what that I think there were like about seven or eight weights with that font it was it's slightly squarish in style uh but it's also very warm Mm. and the the lo- the the letters the vistara the logo type itself has a squarish quality so there was a relationship to the brand mm. but uh, they're also warm and little you know very approachable so that's mm. why we selected that and mm. that warm is also because of the color of vistara as well right? yes yeah, but yeah. even like even even it's it's not just that. i mean it seems like because you're not looking at it in isolation right mm-hmm. but i can tell you with the same color the exact same color and the exact same style with a different layout and a different font we can make look something like we can make something look cold yeah. so it's, cadbury it's, is the closest color they have I, if i can yeah cadbury yeah. they've patented their color so you can't even say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. no it is yeah but it is in the purple family mm-hmm. uh, 
and just to add two cents from my side uh, in terms of as you said like how it renders on digital so it's a new like it it demands altogether a different audio gain session because uh when it comes to rendering that font onto different interfaces yeah. uh, you have to check a lot of things right uh, how is it going to be read by the screen reader yeah. how is it going to be um what's the latency of it uh, how prevalent the font is do you need to download it on the client side and yeah. it, it it's just a different session altogether yeah. <laughs> i do correct for the digital font we went with open sans we okay uh, which was much easier to get i think also i think at at the time the licensing everyone's figuring out because mm. uh, the numbers went were quite different when you were licensing a font for digital use and correct. print use right. uh It's so based on yeah number of impressions your website yes, has and yes. and there are like tons of parameters there. And then well. there are cost restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I understand there's lot more to talk about uh, lettering, calligraphy. Probably we'll do another detailed session on just lettering, maybe with a sure. uh, few of them. But to conclude, uh, uh, in in the same talk, you mentioned that brands must. you briefly covered this but i'll just like if you can conclude with that so brands must adapt to multilingual approaches so uh, just some some thought around that like any message to any brand hopefully who's listening and can sponsor this also oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i like the i think one thing i definitely want to touch upon since we since today's focus is multilingual branding is what does it mean for what do we mean by multilingual branding you know what when i'm saying it needs to have the same uh, qualities as the brand in its whatever script it was designed in originally so that what you one you can recognize it so familiarity you want the visual grammar to match across you know logos regardless of what script it is written in but also there is a uh, there's one thing which you know i over the years i've really been passionate about and now i'm even more so and a lot of designers are is when you're when you're working with multi scripts multiple scripts at the same time there there could be a tendency to impose one script style on the other mm. for example in its proportions or um, maybe its styles or uh it could be just like certain aspects of the visual grammar that are not relevant so mm. for example in in english in latin the script is called latin you'd have a serif you have serifs right you have serifs and you have sans serifs now there's no place for serifs in say bangla mm. so if i'm doing a multilingual logo for uh, uh, say a specific brand and i'm designing it in bangla or bengali i don't need to take the serifs so how is like times of india times of india has a serif uh, edges right it could it so could so how have... is bangla uh, do they have a bangla version of it not that i'm aware of <laughs> but i'm going to certainly look at that now yeah, yeah. uh there's no need to and you can like one you can one can always make the argument and say that's just a stylistic and decorative quality and it's not about right or wrong but uh i think it's it's not just that you have to design multilingual uh, logos but also how you design it where no script is being compromised and that mm-hmm. that the script the authenticity of the script is maintained mm-hmm. so when what i mean by authenticity is its proportions perhaps it's uh, it's uh the inherent styles and forms that come with that script are not it's you're not overlapping one to the other mm-hmm. so like another i'm trying to think of very simple examples that i can state without visuals another thing is a like capitalization mm-hmm. so in 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 your english logo if you have a capital letter you don't need to make the first letter in the regional script bigger it does not serve a purpose there's no concept of capitalization again like say in devnagari or bengali you can if you want to there's no rule there's no 
multilingual design police that's going to come and get you but it just it it's a bit odd because mm-hmm. for a person reading it familiar in that script reading it in that script is just going to be why is the first one bigger it makes no sense it's like it's like you were writing all lowercase letters but you just blow but you know made one letter very big and that was not even the letter you intended to be big but you just did it for decorative purposes yeah. so that's something that you need to which is why i think what i'd like to conclude is with yes the sense it's the need for it but also the sensitivity to how it is approached mm-hmm. and maybe that's why looking at uh, this aspect of branding as a specialized field might help for a so designer you, for yes a designer. for a graphic for agencies to go to type designers and lettering artists and mm-hmm. and even for clients to have enough value in it to because i don't think it should be done by free even for the graphic design house why should they mm-hmm. you know why the client should pay for it mm-hmm. as they would for a photographer or their food stylist or whatever mm-hmm. so uh it's it's a it's it needs to work well as a network mm-hmm. yeah. i think it will <laughs> you can try out i mean this is like just probably i'm just thinking aloud you can because i tried this barista Right. Writing it in Devanagari is so tough. If you want to retain that small, is right. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't because that idea is very language specific. Yeah. So you can't. So then certain things you just have to let go mm-hmm. and not over, uh, over impose that idea yeah. because is is not a word in Hindi. Mm-hmm. So even if if you if you highlight the e matra and the sir. it makes no sense, makes sense yeah. <laughs> what is what is this so there's no need to impose that you could probably just you know it's it's a very tall condensed font i believe right mm. you could just write it as uh, in uh, sorry draw it in that way as close to possible uh, as possible without trying to highlight any mm-hmm. specific letter unless there was something that was similar fantastic yeah. so you can decorate not at the cost of communicating what you want exactly yeah. i think yeah. you summed it up <laughs> wonderfully yeah, Uh, cool. I think uh, this is a good note to end this. Uh, if people have to follow your work, collaborate with you, what's the best way to reach out? So I have my website, which is under my name. That's SulekhaRajkumar dot com. But I also put some of my personal explorations on Instagram. So that's at SulekhaRajkumar. You okay. can find me. Then you can DM me from there. Okay, yeah. nice. And uh, any workshop happening near uh, any any? I'm hoping to conduct a workshop in February, actually. So I'll I keep in Bombay. Posted. In Bombay, yes. Okay, and so, you'll post definitely on Instagram. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Cool. And I'll definitely uh, link the YouTube video uh, of you speaking at the Typo Day in in the show notes. Thank you. So yeah. Thanks a lot for giving your time, and it was really wonderful talking to you. Lot of insights, lot of thought, things to ponder upon, and uh, definitely would like to have you again on Audio Gang. Oh, I'd love to be here. This was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher, or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on Audio Gyan dot com. Till then, bye. It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. 
on Think Fast. Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutya is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcast.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program. and hdfc mutual fund thanks guys without you this would not be possible do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3 blockchain nfts daos what are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet so many questions but don't worry we've got answers to all your questions Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.